When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> Man, do I love being back on the air. I'm sending a text or a, I don't know what the hell I was sending. But anyway, welcome. It's Don't At Me. I got Vegas head. That's right. I got Vegas head. You can see the line or on this side, I guess the line where my hat was as I played golf all day. Only guy in Vegas in bed by 10 o'clock. That's right. Yes, that's right. Played 36 holes of golf in bed by 10. 10. 10. Two nights. Three nights, actually. Ah, maybe not the first night. Anyway, what a weekend we had. I mean, daggone. Look, if you are going to say to me, what was the most impressive thing you saw in a long, long time in sports? I got to tell you, is Scotty Scheffler. Like, I'm so tired. And again, I know I'm old man. I get it. Old man, you're not you're not hip. You're not cool. You don't know. I don't know. So, but just to watch a guy win and not be a complete jackass was awesome. That's why I always kind of like LeBron James, even though a lot of people don't like LeBron James. He kind of won and was never a jackass. Watching Scotty Scheffler win was freaking awesome. And when I say awesome, I mean freaking awesome. I mean, it was one of those deals where, let's be honest, um, if you can't root for him, you can't root for people. And the guy has won four of his last six. Now, understand, that's Tiger Woods-esque. Last one on a run like that, on a heater like that, was Jason Day back in 15. Four out of six on the PGA Tour is damn near impossible, particularly when they're the first four you've ever won, and that's what Scotty Scheffler did. But even more than that, even more than just winning, okay? Scotty Scheffler um, basically went second round to wire. Basically, every shot that he hit had meaning to it. Make one bad swing on 13, go left into whatever that stuff is, and you're not going to win the Masters. Make one bad swing on 11 and go into the pond on the left, and you're not going to win the Masters because guys are charging. That's what was so cool about it, and I want you with me here on this. See, what's cool about the Masters, and we talked about it all week, these dudes are good dudes. I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're just good dudes. So Scotty Scheffler's coming down, and every single shot the man hits is under pressure. Why? Because the guys behind him are playing their brains out. Some are going away. You know, some, I don't know, Joaquin Neiman is the new guy. Hell, he just went away. Guys, and I don't mean to pick on him, but guys, just, some go away, and some are right there all the freaking time. Kepka just went away. And I'm going to get into this with Ryan Burr. But think about this from a sports standpoint. You have to hit every shot. You know, we talk about icing the kicker. Every shot in golf, you get iced. You hit a shot 320 yards down the middle of the fairway. You got to walk to go get the ball iced. 
You hit one on the green from 150. Iced. You putt. You look. You watch. You go. You got to wait for other guys. Iced. You're always iced in golf. It's just what you are. And I've always been amazed at the mental toughness. They're like the last Cowboys. They're the last big-time gamblers. Because every putt, right, every putt means tens of thousands of dollars. And then you got guys like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, you don't even know if he can play. And he's the greatest of all time, he and Nicholas, however you want to do it. You want to do it by majors, it's Nicholas. You want to do it by wins, it's Tiger. Whatever you want to say, who cares? But now here's this guy out there limping around, and next thing you know, he plays all four rounds, and he's gracious, and the crowd appreciates it. That's golf. That is. And it's cool as heck. Sometimes things are just cool. So now... Maybe we have a new star on tour. Actually, we do have a new star on tour right now. And here's the thing that I thought was cool that you'll never hear in any other sport. Every other sport, everybody's entitled. Every other sport. Oh, man, I remember going back to Wrigley Field. It was a day in May. It was Chris Bryant Day. I've been this day forever, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Basketball. Every guy that's 15 years old thinks he's in the NBA, deserves to be in the NBA, And I don't know, acts like he's in the NBA and tells you he should be in the NBA. Scotty Scheffler, you know what he did? Scotty Scheffler woke up damn near crying, sick, upset. I don't know if I deserve this. I don't know if I can handle this. He also woke up humble, which is very cool and very endearing in our world of self-frickin-flatulation or whatever the hell you want to call it. I always said, man, I wish one college basketball player would hit a shot and not make it like every shot that he's hit just won the national championship. I wish one time a player at Indiana University, my school, (coughs) excuse me, I'm trying to fix, would make a three and not tell the whole world that he's the greatest player in the history of basketball. Just one time. (coughs) Just one time. Not 10-1. Like, oh, <laughs> all the stuff that people do, man. It's like, just stop. That's what made this so great. And you can see it in the guy's eyes. Like, this meant the world to the kid. He's only 25 years old. He's got the maturity of a whatever, not a 60-year-old, because I'm not very mature. It's beautiful to watch. It just is. His wife made him breakfast because he knew he was upset. He knew he was struggling. It's a lifetime dream. All the guys... His dad took out a loan so they could belong to some club where the kid could go play golf. He still goes there, plays with the members. He teaches kids on the range. He teaches kids on the putting green. Are you kidding me? Sports is full of great stories. It really is. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is one of those great stories, man. I hope he keeps winning. And I hope other guys... You know, you got Mickelson out there acting like a jackass, right? He's acting like a fool, so he can't even come. But this dude here, he just humble. And I don't know. I look at guys' eyes and I see things. I thought Mickelson was always about Mickelson. Even when he was young and he had his collar up and he was acting like a little frat boy winning. This dude here just seems like a real dude, Texan dude. Anyway, congratulations to him. It was freaking awesome. All right, let's talk about Tiger Woods. So Tiger Woods' performance at the Masters, I did it. Hey, man, I wonder if Tiger Woods is going to play. 
Hey, man, I wonder if Tiger Woods is going to make the cut. Hey, man, I wonder if Tiger Woods is going to win this damn thing. I, I, I did it. Say whatever you'd like, but I did it. I looked it up. I, at first, you know, we were all like this this week. Where's Tiger? Oh, wait, Tiger's one under after one. Shoot, he could win this thing. Isn't that what we do? He's one under after one. Hey, I, I, I no, no, no. No, no, no. I'm looking right here. I think he could win this thing. No, I really do. It's so funny. You go from can the dude play in the tournament? Will the dude play in the tournament? Is it possible that he could play in this tournament? To, all right, let's follow him. Oh, man. Uh, he's coming. It's a tiger roar. I, that's because he's great. That's because he's all-time great. That's because he's like must-see, must-talk-about, must-care-about, must-watch, you name it. Tiger Woods is it. I'm all in on Tiger Woods. I talked about it before, mostly because he stopped being a corporation and started being a human being. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, I got a lot of friends that that are in and around the PGA Tour, and they're always like, yeah, Tiger Woods, when he came in, at 10 years old or whatever the hell he was, uh, was a corporation. And that's fine. I mean, I don't you know, but it doesn't mean he's likable. He was likable because he was the greatest player ever. And I love the way he had energy and enthusiasm. And I've told you this forever. No great, nothing great has ever been accomplished without enthusiasm. Ralph Waldo Emerson, it's my favorite quote. But when he won at 21 years old, Tiger Woods was ready for it. Like Tiger Woods was born for it. Tiger Woods' mentality was that of this is what I am going to do. I don't care who was here before me. I am going to be the all-time greatest. He did not wake up on Master Sunday. I'm sure he was nervous, but he wasn't sitting there wondering if he was ready for this. I guarantee you he was ready for this. And he proved it. And he proved it over and over and over and over again. These dudes are some of the toughest, if not the toughest dudes in the world when it comes to competing. I'm not going to tell you they could take a hit by Aaron Donald and get up and throw a touchdown pass. I'm not telling you that they could run in the middle of a line and get hit and get up and get behind center again or get behind his quarterback again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the mental toughness to do what is needed to be done when it is needed to be done and damn near do it that way all the time. And if they don't do it that way, they get up, they do it the next week. It is truly amazing when you sit and watch a golf tournament like yesterday, what a guy has to do to win that tournament. Now you say to me, well, they're pros. Yes, they're also human. So let's talk about the human side of sports. All right. I don't know how many of you saw this, but Dwayne Haskins, I'm sure a lot of you did. Dwayne Haskins, a 24-year-old quarterback, he was with the Steelers now. He died trying to cross traffic. Now, I don't know why Dwayne Haskins was trying to cross a highway, a major highway. I have no idea. I, I don't care. That'll all come out. But the way I look at sports is this, and maybe I'm wrong. When I see clowns put a, what's the right thing, a... Uh, hot seat list together. What coach is on the hot seat? What player needs to be cut? I just think less of the person that does that. 
fact, there are guys in the basketball media. That's that's all they got. My hot seat, 2022. My hot seat. Well, okay. I look at it different. I've been, I, I've never been fired, but I've had my contract run out when I was coaching. I said, hey, I'm not coming back. I'm going on to other things. That's a real toll on your family. Like, that's a real toll. Now, there's a saying in coaching anyway, uh, you know, you get fired, your better job awaits. That's fine. But it's a lot different when you pass away. I mean, you're not dying when you get fired. Yes, your kids are upset. Sure, your, your ego is hurt. There's all kinds of things. But Dwayne Haskins, a young man, passed away tragically. Again, I don't know why he was there, and I do not care. It is not my business to know why anybody is anywhere. But Dwayne Haskins got hit by what is apparently a pickup truck or a cement truck or a freaking big old truck, and he was killed. And one of the cool things about Dwayne Haskins was, I just said it, the energy that the dude had. Every time I saw Dwayne Haskins on TV, man, he had a big smile. I remember being on the field for the Indiana-Ohio State game. It was JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, Zach Martell, or some guy named Martell. Martell was the young hotshot. Burrow was the, the, the Ohio kid. Haskins was the guy that I told the recruiting coordinator of Ohio State, oh, man, that's kind of Urban's guy right there. Right there, that, that man, he slings it, he's big, he's strong. And then JT Barrett was the player of the year in the Big Ten. And I remember just standing there, for whatever the reason, being mesmerized, I was, by Dwayne Haskins. And I'm not sure why. He was a big old dude firing the ball down. I think he was only a freshman, maybe a redshirt freshman, I don't know. But he had a big smile on his face, and he was encouraging everybody else, which is weird, right? I mean, a quarterback competition, guess what? The quarterback is only one guy. You know, in basketball, there's a couple guards, a six-man, they all play. A couple forwards, maybe a center, who knows, they all play. Eighth-man plays. Second-string quarterback, guess what he does not do? Play. Period. He don't play. JT Barrett was the starter, so Dwayne Haskins was competing with others. And what I saw to Dwayne Haskins, I really liked. So I was rooting for this kid. I was. And it's terrible to see any kid lose his life, whether it's tragic, whatever, however. And then, and then we go to the reaction. And this is something that really bothers me. Like, I like Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter is fine. And this isn't necessarily about Adam Schefter's tweet, although I think we're going to put it up for you. This isn't necessarily about his tweet. This is something, and here it is, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, died this morning. He would have turned 25. Okay. See, here's what bothers me about that tweet. And this isn't just Schefter. You know, he caught enough hell for it. Those guys are parasites. We all understand that. Everybody knows that. I mean, they, they, they feed off others. Others have to give them information, and that's fine. I'm not mad about it. But here's a bigger issue. I don't think anybody really understands how dedicated, how tough, how much hard work goes into just simply playing in college 
or it getting to the NFL. So let me take that part of it first. The work you put in to just get there, the dedication, the sacrifice to just get there is huge. It's a hell of an accomplishment. I don't care if Dwayne Haskins struggled briefly or struggled. Who cares? He got there. All these little slaps that never could, never would, didn't have the discipline to get there, writing those kind of things is, in my opinion, so ridiculous. People say that about me all the time. Well, you only average four points a game at Indiana. Yeah, but you know how much work I put in to get there, to be able to average four points a game at IU? Do you know how hard it was when everybody was going out to parties and, and proms and I was sitting in my driveway shooting jump shots? And driving around Gary, Indiana just to find a game? No, see, that's all crap. The the insensitivity part, hey, look, it is what it is. Dude's a parasite. What would you expect? But the truth of the matter is, why does that matter? And does anybody ever glorify the fact that, man, oh, man, people work their ass off to get to that position? And regardless of whether he struggled when he got to that position, regardless of what happened, that dude got there. That dude played at Ohio State. That dude was the starting quarterback of the Ohio State University. Do you know how much work went into that? See, you could put a tweet like this. Dwayne Haskins, who backed up JT Barrett for one year, if you want to put his sports in, and then worked his brains out, and became a dynamite superstar leader at Ohio State before moving on to the NFL, passed away. I mean, I can give you a thousand different ways to phrase that if you would like. Dwayne Haskins, who was an incredible player in the Washington, D.C. area, went on to Ohio State to become an absolute superstar because of his hard work, enthusiasm, and dedication, and was so well thought of that the Washington football Commodores wanted to make sure he was part of their organization coming out of Ohio State. Not because he was local, because he was local, but he had a great personality, a great way about him, and we want him a part of our organization. I mean, you can do it that way if you'd like. But of course we don't. Parasites don't do that. Parasites do what parasites do. They suck off the accomplishments of others. They latch on and they draw from it. They suck it out. They suck lifeblood out of people. What the hell difference? Let me final with this one. What the hell difference does it even matter what he did in the NFL? I just don't understand it. Well, I do understand it. Adam Schefter and the rest of the parasites, they got to get it out first, man. They got to get it out first. Are you kidding me? I got to be first. I'm so glad. I'm so glad Lamar Jackson and others, Cam Hayward and others, have come at Schefter. These guys walk around, they got their big contracts, they're not interesting, and guess what? They walk around like they've done something. They haven't done nothing but make a phone call. Oh, next time you see little Shefty on the phone, he's working. No, he's not. People are working for him. Man, little Shefty's working today, boys and girls. Little Shefty's on one. Oh, he's going to tell you what's going on. Little Shefty's scrappy. 
It's all crap. They're parasites. Speaking of parasites, Frank Vogel, the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, may be fired today. All right? He may be fired. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, he is going to be fired today. You want to talk about parasites? Here's a parasite for you. Frank Vogel has coached his final game for the Lakers, a decision that's expected to be shared with him as soon as Monday. So this jackass knows, and he can't wait to put it out before a dude has even, has even been told. Parasites. Parasites. Well, it's his job. Oh, yeah? Okay. If you say so, it's his job. All right. Well, it's a crap job. And I've never thought ever, ever in my life have I thought that someone's job should take precedent over being a decent human being. I know Frank Vogel. I like Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel was a coach here in Indiana. So, yeah, maybe this is a little personal to me. But, my God, you're sitting there telling a guy that he's been fired before he's even been fired or notified. So, hey, can we put up Frank Vogel's response to it? (laughs) I mean, look, Frank Vogel basically said, hey, I haven't been told nothing. He drops a word on it, and that's cool. And I'm not going to say on here, although I should. Parasites. You guys love little Woj bombs, and that's cool. I mean, Woj wants to sit there with his arrogance and his big money. Well, Doggard, you're just jealous. Fine, I'm jealous if that's what you want to say. No, I'm really not. I think there's a certain way you go about your business. I think there's a certain way you go about being a human being. I see it all the time in the media. Now, look, I'm a guy that can't stand the media because of this crap. I know Schefter. I like Schefter. Woj has been very nice to me. Only because he thinks or he thought I was the best ESPN had, or at least that's what he said, which is nice, very nice. But he don't know nothing about basketball. You know, he don't know. And when you talk to these two guys, it's always, there's Dave McMiniman's Frank Vogel tweet. But when you, when you know, I haven't been told, and I'm going to enjoy tonight's game, so maybe Vogel will be fired, and everybody will say, well, great, see, uh, Woj had it, Woj Bob. Shut up. Shut up with the Woj bombs. It's just a parasite feeding off others for information. You see him on TV. There's nothing interesting about him. You see him on TV. Shefty's on his phone. I'm scrappy. Uh, when you walk around ESPN, the two most powerful guys are Woj and Shefty. Because they're the information guys. And it makes sense. I mean, ESPN is supposed to be an information channel. It's not. It's become a place that you put training wheels on talent and and don't ask me any questions. But that's fine. Little Shefty. Woj. I'm giving you a Woj bomb. Woj gets folks fired, man, at ESPN. That's true. Woj don't like you. Jeff Goodman mad at me. Jeff Goodman got fired because he challenged Woj. Woj got his butt out of there. Woj don't mess around. So now Woj is, you know, guy gets fired from a tweet. Can you imagine, though, if Frank Vogel had an alert from ESPN and here comes this fool Woj's tweet 
you know, he's getting ready for a game. Last night they played. He's sitting there and looks down. Ding. Huh? What? I'm fired? Does that say Lakers on it? That says Lakers. I'm going to go coach tonight. You like those guys a lot more than I do. Let me put it to you that way. I worked with uh, Schefter one day. He's great. We went down to Oklahoma City. We sat at lunch, and he was the most self-important little you-know-what that I've been around. All right, we did the game, and then I sat next to him on a plane. He was fine. I think the word I came out of his mouth 622 times. It's fine. What happens then is I just act like I'm getting ready for my show, put my headphones on, and away I go. But I think it's absolute crap. I'm sorry. I think it's absolute crap that these guys do this. No one's going to call them out. I don't care. Uh, we got a monster for you today. Paul Kuharski is going to join us. I got some stuff to get into with Paul. I do want to talk about his thoughts on Dwayne Haskins' passing, his thoughts on what happened with Shefty and uh, Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt. I love Gil Brandt. He's 90 years old. But you, you just can't be so arrogant to think you can say anything you want about anyone you want. And he did the same thing with Dwayne Haskins. He talked about it's always something with this guy. What is he? What are you saying? What do you mean it's always something with this guy? Because he got hit by a car? He should have stayed in college? The stupidest stuff. And I'm a big fan of Gilbrand. I've known him for a long time. And I'm not making the excuse that he's 90 years old. I'm not. That's just stupid. Arrogance. Arrogance kills you. I also want to talk about Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell's the coach of the Lions, and Dan Campbell's saying you don't need an elite quarterback to win big in this league. Maybe you don't. Also, where is the Brian Flores lawsuit head? A couple more coaches joined uh, Friday, I think they joined. Where's that thing hit? I think a lot of people felt like that would be done by now, or maybe it was going to be dropped because Flora's got a job. Maybe I don't know, but that's I'm curious, and there's nobody nobody better to talk to than Kuharski. And then, ladies and gentlemen, at 10 o'clock, my boy, Ryan Burr. Ryan Burr is going to join us. Ryan Burr is going to join us, and he, I think, owes me 100 large because I told him that Scotty Scheffler was going to win. I think I maybe told him, Scotty Scheffler was going to win twice before the end of the year. But Burr's great. When Burr gets it right, he tells you. When Burr gets it wrong, he tells you. He got it wrong. He didn't think Scheffler would win. He thought he caught, he was close, though. I'll tell you this much. He was close on Tiger. Said the second round, Tiger's really going to struggle because, you know what, Tiger's icing himself all night uh, just to walk, just to play. And Tiger had to come out in bad conditions. So Burr is going to join us, and I can't wait. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, we got a NBA playoffs start up tomorrow. We got play-in games. I, I don't, I'm not in. I'm in on the NBA playoffs. I'm in on the series. And maybe it all should be play-in games. Maybe that's better. Steve Kerr, of course, America's Most Woke, he says because players don't want to play, we should go down to 72 games. Does that make sense? You don't want to play, so let's lessen the games. 
I don't get it. I, 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 I'm sorry, but I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get where we acquiesce because people want to get paid more money to do less. How does this make sense? Will somebody please explain this to me? Steve Kerr, yeah, 72 games. We got, okay. More money to do less in a league that really isn't that difficult to do more. You got 82 games in a season. Yes, you got shoot-arounds. Don't, don't tell me what they got because I know. 82 freaking games. That's it. And guys don't want to play. I'm tired. I'm tired, too. I got home from Vegas. Flights were delayed. I didn't pull in on an Uber till 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. So what? You tired? I always go back to my brother-in-law, the great Donnie Ross. That dude's tired. You know where he is right now? He's iron working in Detroit. He's tired. I mean, he, what? He got to go from nine to five? What? He doesn't get the, I don't know, play 35 minutes over a two and a half hour period? What? 82 times? What? What a sorry ass state. All right, we're going to come back. My man, Paul Kuharski. Let's get into the NFL with Kuharski next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, um... Paul Kuharski, nice enough to join me from Outkick 360. Gil Brandt is a guy I'm sure Paul knows well. I know him well. I used to go to dinner with him all the time. He'd come to Bloomington two or three times a year when I was with Coach Knight. Gil Brandt was reacting to the to the death of Dwayne Haskins on Sirius XM Radio. Here's Gil. Got to know the, the young man a little bit, but also from a scouting standpoint, you were you, you uh, analyzed him over the years at Ohio State and, and coming into the league with the Washington Commanders and then going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, it's a terrible tragedy. And and what wanted your thoughts on that? And also on the player, because you did chronicle his career very closely. Well, you know, Dan, uh, I hate any time anybody is killed or anybody dies. Uh, but he was a guy that was living to be dead, so to speak. Uh, you know, they told him, don't under any circumstances leave school early. You just, you just don't have the work habits. You don't have this. You don't have that. What did he do? Left school early. Uh, I always can remember this. Uh, we invited players to the draft. And he was one of the players we invited to the draft. And uh, we were told, no, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have our own party. His own party was uh, a party at the bowling alley, charged him 50 bucks to get into the bowling alley for his party. Uh, it was always something, you know. It, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I'm never offside, but they keep calling me for offside. 
is what it is. So, you know, it, it's a tragic thing. Anytime anybody dies, it's tragic. Uh, and especially when you're 24 years old and you got to hold your whole life ahead of you. Uh, but, um, you know, maybe if he'd have stayed in school a year, uh, he wouldn't do silly things. I mean, I don't, when you're jogging on a highway, uh, you know, on a road like that, that leaves it open because I tell you, it's so, uh, guy has two drinks and he's just a little bit to, to the right side of the road uh, and <clears throat> gets hit and killed. It's easy to happen. Yeah. Uh, we. I want to just. Paul, what's your reaction to that? Bad two minutes that Gil Brandt's uh, going to want back. Um, and I don't know how much longer Gil Brandt can, can be on air. I, I would have said that, quite frankly, before he said this. Gil Brandt's 90, has a hard time getting around anymore. Uh, you could tell he talks kind of slowly. And uh, yeah, I think he's still sharp to a degree in terms of his recall and storytelling. But uh, it lost the context of the moment there for sure, Dan. And, uh, and, and he got crucial details wrong. I mean, the guy's not jogging on the highway, which is, is uh, an important detail that he got wrong on a, on a big story when he's talking about a guy being killed. Um, I think he's trying to say, you know, you're in danger of somebody else who had two drinks coming over the line there, but it makes it sound like, and I think people have heard it, think he's saying that Dwayne Haskins maybe had two drinks and could go over the line. Uh, not very articulate there. You got to be really careful when you're talking about somebody who was uh, just killed and he, he wasn't careful at all there. And uh, look, I've got a little experience in this, uh, in the don't speak ill of the dead, which um, we saw two examples of yesterday, um, people failing to do that and really um, taking a public backlash for it. And I think uh, deservingly so. I feel bad for Gil Brandt. You got to. Somebody got to tell you, look, you don't need to go on the yeah. air. You know, I mean, at some point, somebody's got to say, you don't, you know, there's no 24 year old dies, man. I don't, I don't care what he did in college. I don't care what, you know, I mean, I, I, that the other guy you're talking about is uh, Adam Schefter. I, I spoke about this earlier. My, one of my problems, like, I don't know if people understand, like, and I use this personally, people say, well, you only average four points in Indiana. And my point is, do you have any idea the sacrifices in high school, how hard I worked just to get there? Like just to be one of the players that Bob Knight actually looked at and then then took uh, at a time, and it's the same thing. Like I, Schefter put out. We already put the tweet up. Hey, struggled to play. All right, but you could do this a thousand ways. There's no need for that, uh, Paul. Is there? Am I? You're the journalist. I'm the slap. What? Am I off on this? Yeah, initially I looked at it and I thought, well, it reads like um, you know, first paragraph of an obituary. Uh, and an obituary might say that, but, um, you know, obituary comes after, after the news comes and in, in the, in the breaking of the news, which everybody found out about from that Schefter tweet, I think you, you know, what we would call write it, write it straight. And you, you don't have to put any, uh, any judgment about how his career did or didn't go 
in there. You just say what he did, who he was, that he, who he played for, you know, the, the bare facts. Um, and the other thing I found, and, and I'll go crazy on this, I'm sure today to a, to a larger degree. Uh, and I know some of the people that were complaining don't, don't have big careers with a lot of news ahead of them, but a lot of players were really turned off by this. You know, we're pieces of meat to these guys. Uh, you know, they don't consider us humans, all of that. All of them, when they have contractual news, their agents will take it to Adam Schefter. So if you really are upset with Adam Schefter, cha change the process then. If you're pissed off at how Adam Schefter uh, treated the death of one of your colleagues in the business, then don't just tweet and go back to, to usual. Tell your agent you don't want them to deal with Adam Schefter. That, that's how you make Adam Schefter feel uh, some, some pain in exchange for dehumanizing one of your colleagues. But you're, if you're going to send a tweet and then go back to business as usual and have your agent cut and paste your contract details and, and uh, text it to Adam Schefter for him to tweet it, you, you've done nothing to Adam Schefter. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on that, Paul. Um, people, walk me through the process. Like, so people think that Schefter just gets this news. Like, he, you know, it's not. Th these are human beings, and, and to your point, that want Schefter to have the news, right? Lamar Jackson's mad about it, which is great. I, I said earlier, it's great, great, good for you guys. But your point is is great it, it, because. That's how this works, right? The average person I don't think really understands. His information doesn't necessarily come from the player. His information comes from the agent, the business manager, whatever, right? Predominantly comes from the agent. And he's got a, you know, a network of virtually every agent in the league um, and every GM and, and salary cap guy in the league. And he's trading information with them on a regular basis. Hey, here's what I hear about the, you know, the other wide receiver who's negotiating with the, with the Ravens. And, uh, you know, so he's trading information constantly. So uh, he's helping out that agent with what he knows about other deals that are going on in exchange for when, when your guys got news, you're going to give it to me first. And I'm going to win that by, you know, five minutes or whatever. You're, you're going to tell it to me before you tell it to anybody else. Usually you notice <clears throat> You know, it's him and Rappaport or him and Pelissaro, bang, bang, bang. But, you know, that, that's the payoff he gets for these relationships and stuff. And if people are truly upset with him over this or other things, you know, he's had a, a relatively bad stretch lately with, say, uh, Dalvin Cook's uh, domestic assault thing where, where he was clearly used as a patsy to get out in front of of Dalvin Cook's, uh, ac the accusation against him, uh, put some stuff out that made him look like a victim. And then within a matter of days, we saw pic pictures of uh, Dalvin Cook's, I don't know, girl girlfriend, I presume, I don't remember if it's a fiance or, or what, but with her beaten up and very clearly a different side to the story, uh, America said, hey, Adam Schefter's just cutting and pasting and, and putting out whatever the agent uh, tells him to. Um, and there's a high degree of that going on that he doesn't uh, vet to the degree that people uh, expect that he does. Paul, Paul, what's the difference between working for a newspaper 
and putting stuff out back in the day. I mean, and obviously a blog or working for ESPN or NFL Network in terms of the vetting process. Well, uh, the biggest thing, Dan, is that it's changed. Like, it, once, and this isn't really with a contract number thing. I mean, if you get a contract number from um, the team, from the GM or the salary cap guy or from the agent, you don't need a second source on that. that I mean, that's one of the two primary players in it. You know it's, it's accurate. I mean, the agent is painting those initial numbers as the total contract value not the real money value. We all know that, but you know, if a coach is telling me so-and-so is, uh, is, is going to play at left guard this week, I don't need a second source on that. That's the guy who makes the decision. Um, so the two source thing is out, out the window there. The thing is that back in the olden days, uh, you know, if I got one side of the story, I, I could take the time to get the second side of the story. Nowadays, you put out the first side of the story and then you go chase the second side of the story and everything is incremental uh, because of the time rush, because of the competition and because uh, we get our news in, in bits and pieces rather than as the whole big story. Now, you know, some slower developing stories on a rare instance where a reporter knows he's got it alone you can take your time with, but those are very, very rare and reporting gold. Otherwise, uh, you get something, you know, you might have a decision to make. Will it last long enough that I've got 10 minutes to go write this and put it out as a story? Or do I need to tweet it immediately? So in this case, um, Schefter would need to tweet this immediately, right? Because somebody else is going to get it very soon. So what is the, people always say this, Paul. So I, I love this conversation. People always say, well, you know, guys just want to get it first. They don't want to get it right. Do you buy that? And what's the advantage of getting it well, first? What, what, what you want to get it first and right. Um, on death, you got to be absolutely positively sure. So, uh, you know, I think you're less concerned with getting it first because you can't get it wrong. But he's getting it from the agent. So the <laughs> agent, you know, he's putting the agent's name on it. This isn't a sourced story. Um, but I, I don't know that this is a matter of him hurrying. He just didn't didn't choose wisely how how to word it. The other thing is the sourcing all the time, Dan. Um, I don't think reporters generally push people to put their names on things. And some of the things that are sourced, A, are so obviously directly from an agent or from a general manager, it's embarrassing. And I don't think uh, people like Schefter, people, the high ups at NFL Network, the top reporters, and and Florio, that, that's the, the big three, really, even ask guys to put their names on it. I don't like Drew Rosenhaus at all. He screwed me over in a very big way walking out of the Titans facility with Jarrell Casey's wife, clearly having just signed a contract, telling me he can't tell me and giving it to, to Rappaport five minutes later. Um, I mean, I think, you know, listen, if your big plan is the NFL network has to have it, but a local reporter is standing in front of you at the moment and you can't change <laughs> course, you're, you're just a jerk. Ian Rappaport, to his credit, at least when he broke the news, uh, retweeted my picture of him in the parking lot 
you know, you know, when he said <laughs> it. And I fought with Drew on this time and time again. Um, and I don't care for him one bit, but at least he puts his name on stuff when when stuff comes out. You know, when Schefter when Schefter has a contract deal, he says according to Drew Rosenhaus. All these other guys say according to a source. But why is it such a big like you, you're that scared of the team? The team knows who 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 it is. So these guys don't push people to put their names on information, which I think is uh, has hurt the business overall and people's credibility. And uh, it's not that smart by readers a lot of times, but when they see source, a lot of times a high percentage of people think it's made up or that they're, you know, when they see source, they, they automatically have less faith in the information. Well, in, in Schefter, he put the agent, so you immediately have faith in that thing, right? I mean, that's how I, I look exactly like what you just said. If I see source, they go, okay, maybe. But when I see the guy's name, hey, let me go back to something, because in Indy, we always say when the Colts are in trouble, Grandpa Polian's getting the Mort. Mort's going to put something out good about Ballard or put something good about Frank Reich. Do teams have their guys? Yeah, Master a lot of teams have their guys. I mean um... – I'm, uh, forgive me for not knowing his name. The, the newest guy at PFT um, worked for a team. I don't remember which. And he detailed that that his team had, like, they told the team reporters, all right, here's how it's going to work. Schefter's going to put it out, and five minutes later, we can write it. Now, I don't know why you would have that. The Titans have been really good throughout my career as the Oilers and the Titans of not um, – not dealing with national reporters to that degree. There's some stuff that, that comes out that way, but there's not huge national news consistently broken contract stuff. Definitely. But um, they, they don't, uh, you know, Diana Rossini does well here. Um, she's probably number one, but uh, they don't have constant dialogue with uh, with some of those, and and I've had conversations with uh, with my sources who uh, I'll nag them about national people, and they'll show me. Look, I'm not answering him either. <laughs> Let's get into a little bit of football here. Um... Dan Campbell said something interesting. He doesn't think you need to win with an elite quarterback in the NFL. I mean, everybody always points to like the one or two guys. You know, Trent Dilfer won, this guy won. You buy that? Uh, uh, Trent Dilfer's an awfully old example. The uh, league has changed since then. I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, Dan Campbell's saying that because Dan right. Campbell doesn't have an elite quarterback. Dan Campbell has a quarterback that didn't know the sun right. rose in the East when he came into the league, and he went to Berkeley. <laughs> So, I mean, he didn't only have not have an elite quarterback. He didn't have an elite mind at, at quarterback. Um, I think the theory is consistently disproved. I mean, uh, the team I, I cover in, in Nashville has a guy that wins regular season games and can't win uh, playoff games in Ryan Tannehill. So, um, you know, I, do I think a team without an elite quarterback can win? Uh, to a degree. Do I think it can win a Super Bowl? I don't know. I mean, San Francisco is the best example we've seen of it. They've gotten to the NFC Championship game. They've gotten to the Super Bowl recently, and they've come up short. I think, you know, had they broken through, they'd be the poster boy for it. But we, we haven't really seen it lately. And every team in the league 
is going crazy selling out to try to get an elite quarterback. I'd ask Dan Campbell why exactly that is. Uh, and, and it's not just to sell tickets. Uh, speaking of that, I, I saw this the other day. I was in Vegas, so everything's a little fuzzy. <laughs> but did, did I see this right? Bruce Arians said Tom Brady got too much credit, gets too much credit for what happened with the Bucs. I did not see that. But uh, even if he believes that, he and Bruce Arians isn't good at um, swallowing things and not saying things out loud. And maybe he's saying that to try to um, make sure the rest of the team feels like it is uh, properly credited because certainly, uh, you know, in a 22-man game plus, it, it takes a lot. And Tom Brady would be the first one to tell you that. And uh, we all tend to lock in on the quarterback no matter who he is and certainly if he's Tom Brady. So it probably does get a, a little bit too much credit. But uh, when I hear Bruce Arians saying that, if he, if he said it, the person I think he's talking about is Bruce Arians. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and, and we've heard reports that I believe that Bruce Arians was uh, getting in the way a little bit of, of Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich um, during the week where he was uh, – crossing out some things in the game plan rather than uh, supplementing it or, or patting them on the back for the good plans that they had, uh, had put together. So I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with my quarterback getting too much here's, credit here, if it was Tom Brady and he was winning a Super Bowl. I think I'd let him go and sit. But here's the quote Bruce Arians told 98.7 regarding left, which I get credit. Brady gets way too much credit for what uh, – Byron does with our offense. It's one of the reasons I hope he gets all the credit is he deserves this year to get a coaching gig. So it was more of an endorsement of Byron Leftwich, you know. But when you see anybody saying, hey, Tom Brady gets too much credit, particularly when he emphasized it more than what he emphasized the credit that he got. Like, you know what I mean? I get credit. Okay. Tom Brady gets way too much credit. You think there was really an issue there? You sounds like you do. You think there was a little bit of something, something there. Uh, I mean, I like it as a sales pitch for Leftwich, but let's not forget that uh, once upon a time, Adam Gase was was getting a lot of credit for what Peyton Manning was doing, and it got him two jobs at which he failed miserably. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see. I, I think Byron Leftwich is probably a very good coach, but let's see him, uh, you know, leading a program with a quarterback who's not Tom Brady. Hey, uh, last thing before I let you go. Uh, the Brian, Brian Flores lawsuit is uh, still going. I think a lot of people maybe thought that once, you know, he got a job, it would go away. I never thought that. My family's lawyers, and they understand this stuff. Uh, where are you at with all this? What It, it, it touched the Titans a little bit, has it not? Yeah. Yet? And what, what, what do you see? Is this a distraction? What, what is well, this? What is this for a team? I mean, the biggest thing in this lawsuit remained the tentacles. So the number one thing is Stephen Ross with the $100,000 a game for Flores to lose for them to get in position for Joe Burrow. Um, and now it comes out that Flores memorialized the, this um, request to, to fail to Chris Greer, the GM, and to other executives with the Dolphins. Um, 
did those people take this back to Ross? Did those people take it to Park Avenue to the league uh, the to the league office? Basically, what we have to do is figure out what the league wants to happen, and then the investigation will get them there. So, uh, how seriously do they take this? Um, and, and what do they want to happen to Stephen Ross? Then they'll have their investigator um, take take it that way. Um, Steve Wilkes and uh, Ray Horton have joined the lawsuit. Look, it's really hard to get inside people's heads and what they were thinking. I, I mean, Steve Wilkes, some of what he says makes sense. He he went to to Arizona. Um, and his GM wasn't available to him for something like four weeks because he was suspended um, for DUI uh, time. And uh, Josh Rosen was a bust who was drafted by his GM, Kime. And Kime is still there. And Steve Wilkes got the boot after one year. So, I, I mean, I think you could wonder there, you know, why was the coach one and done? And, uh, and, and the GM still get it. It's food for thought at the very least. Ray Horton got an interview um, when the Titans, uh, as did Terrell Austin, another minority, and Doug Marone. When Amy Adams Strunk, a brand new owner who didn't know that much about what was going on yet, sought stability and really liked Mike Malarkey, who had done a reasonably good job with a bad team as an interim coach. I mean, is she allowed to want to hire Mike Malarkey because he brought some stability and she had a comfort level with him. She followed the rule and she, she interviewed double what she was supposed to interview on the Rooney rule in Nashville. It was no secret that she wanted to hire Mike Malarkey. And all of us were clamoring that that list of alternative candidates was insufficient and in scope and that she should have talked to better candidates because Mike Malarkey was not good enough, but Ray Horton had to know that 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 interview, you know, was about him overwhelming her and making her change her mind, which really is what the Rooney rule is about in certain circumstances. Um, and she's allowed to have a preference going into that. So the Titans being cast as some huge racist organization because she somehow didn't make her mind completely blank and have no preference going into an interview. That seems a little harsh to me. The Titans have a pretty good track record with black quarterbacks, which is another huge uh, NFL issue that's largely gone away in part because of what the Oilers and the Titans did. So I, I think they've been put in a, in a difficult spot, though, you know, I, I understand what people are arguing, I guess. I'll tell you what, I think Stephen Ross has a problem. Do you? Yeah. Uh, and, but how slow do they play this investigation? They have a way of taking two years yeah. to get to a conclusion on these. Yeah, I think, man, when you when you if you can if you have any shred of evidence that somebody's asking you to lose, oh man, I don't. I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I, I'm I'm sure you can survive it because you got billions, but I don't know how you survive that. I I honestly don't because that has got to be. Paul, you know way better than me. That's got to be the most sensitive thing going. Well, Gamble. here's the here's the big question too, Dan. I mean, that's obviously a cardinal sin. But then how do you value it as compared to uh, a regular workplace filled with harassment where women were constantly leaving and feeling uncomfortable going to work in Washington? 
So you're going to sweep Dan Snyder's stuff yeah. under the rug, but throw Stephen Ross out of the league. There's a, there's a lot to sort out there in terms of, uh, you know, which crime and which punishment. And then uh, it's going to look like you're accepting of one and not accepting of the other, which I, I understand the argument there. Maybe they should both go. Yeah, I think you got, I mean, the way I look at it, again, my whole family's lawyers is you do it, you know, you, you, you investigate separately to make the best decision you can on what you, you know, the facts that you have and both, I mean, hell, didn't I just see, didn't I just see where Daniel Snyder withheld money or something? <laughs> yeah. That dude, do you he's see that? messing around allegedly, and this is Congress alleging it, with the pool of money that the visitor, uh, the, the visiting team gets from ticket revenue that gets thrown into the pot that the whole league gets that's a good way to get yourself in trouble with your feather fellow owners they say there but for the grace of god go i with the other stuff but mess with my money and uh and then we'll really come to jesus meeting so that that could be his death now I am a believer that there is only one reason those owners are in that room and those those owners are owners and it is because of money they don't have the money. They ain't the owner, brother. So don't mess with the damn money. Amen. Don't mess with the scratch, Paulie. Tell me I'm the best. Dave. Thanks, brother. Thanks for the time. That's great stuff. Hey, Paul, you are the absolute best, man. I'm telling you. And watch the best. Outkick 360. Uh, our time, three to three to six. You'll see the best. That guy right there, Paul Kuharski. The only the reason best. I come on is for that at, that the, at the end. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We'll be right back. Thanks to Paul right there. Ryan Burr's going to join us. He came on. He knocks it out of the park every time, but he didn't knock it out of the park on the Masters this time. He is the uh, best. He's the best. Not the best. All right. We'll be back. Ryan Burr next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. I got to tell you, this is the first time we've ever done an interview with a guy behind a, in front of a green screen. <laughs> I feel like the master should be behind yeah. you. Like, I feel like, you know, you should be driving a car and the same, you know, the same stuff is going. Driving Ryan down Burr, how are you, my friend? You know, if, if you upped your budget a little bit, I could have Magnolia Lane behind me, Double D. <laughs> right. All right, you did not get this right. You did not. You did not think Scheffler was going to win this. Why did he win it? Well, I'll tell you where I was wrong and where I really underestimated. It wasn't Scotty Scheffler. What I underestimated was the value of Ted Scott, and I, I grossly underestimated the value of Ted Scott. Ted Scott is Scotty Scheffler's caddy. Um, Ted Scott won Scotty Scheffler the Masters, and I'm convinced of it. Uh, Scheffler's great. He's won four of seven. He's number one in the world. I still think he's riding a hot streak and he's not a generational player. Taking nothing away from Scotty Scheffler. And boy, has he proved me wrong. He's made me look like a fool. Uh, he's on an unbelievable hot streak. There's a lot of things that I don't love about Scotty Scheffler on the golf course, but the last four days, having Ted Scott, Ted Scott, for those that don't know, was Bubba Watson's caddy, Bubba Watson has an unbelievable record around Augusta National. And Ted Scott was the architect and really drove Scotty Scheffler around that golf course for four days. And Scheffler did pull it off. A couple times he wobbled. A couple times it was that the mistake that I anticipated was coming. And his short game saved him. 
And I underestimated his short game, how good it was. And then most importantly, I underestimated the value of having Ted Scott on his bag at Augusta National. So, um, listen, I was wrong, 100% wrong on Scotty Scheffler. I was wrong for four days. I kept saying he wasn't going to close. He wasn't going to close. And he point blank made me made me wrong and made you right. Congratulations to you, Double D. Uh, I don't think he is a generational player. Uh, I'm not sure that he has more than one or two majors in his career. Uh, there's a couple things about his swing. His footwork is horrendous. And we've seen with players, it just takes, I think, golf, when everything's going good and timing's good and everything's good, it, everyone looks unbeatable, right? I mean, we've seen it with Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy or Brooks Kepka or certainly Tiger, that when everything's going good, it's how could this player ever lose? How could this guy ever lose? Uh, and right now, Scheffler's, how could this guy ever lose? That's what you keep hearing. Um, I don't think he wins again this year. <laughs> I really don't. But I will say this. It's as good a two-month stretch as we've seen besides Tiger Woods ever. It's unbelievable what he's been able to do. What, what did Ted Scott specifically do right. to walk him around this course? What does that mean? What, what does it mean what you're saying about right. Ted Scott? The so, daddy? you know, there's an age-old analogy that you, I could take Tiger Woods in his prime, and I could go, Tiger doesn't have to hit his drive. Tiger doesn't have to hit his second shot. And I could go put the ball on the green in regulation on 18 holes. And I could put it on the green in 18 holes and Tiger in his prime went break 80. What that means is there are spots at Augusta National that if you end up win, even if you're on the green, you're like, oh, great shot. I'm on the green. No, it's a double bogey or at least a bogey. It's an incredible bogey that you'd have to make from that spot. There are positions where, and Scotty Scheffler missed correct every single time. If you go back and look at his rounds when he missed the green, he hit some bad shots. But those bad shots were in a position that gave him a great opportunity with a good shot to get up and down for par. You look at people's scorecards and you see all these triples and doubles, and it wasn't because they were in the woods and banging it off of trees. It's because they missed in the wrong spot where it's impossible to get the ball close and one thing leads to another. Scheffler never once, never once missed in the wrong spot. And he missed a lot. You see how many greens he missed. Every single time he was in the spot, if you're going to miss, he was in the spot that you had to miss. And the only way he could have that knowledge was from Ted Scott who has hundreds and hundreds of rounds at Augusta National that walked with a guy that won the green jacket twice and could say, okay, he says, what's my yardage? The pin might be 168, but that wasn't what Ted Scott was saying to him. The Ted Scott would say, Scotty, the pin's 168, but the front right is 148, and we want to be on the front right. And even if Scotty missed right or left, he would still be in a position to where the pin was. If he hit a great shot, it's a birdie. If he hit a decent shot, it's a par. If he hit a horrible shot, he's still in a position with his short game that he could get up and down for par. And I underestimated, grossly underestimated, how much Ted Scott meant to him. What is, what, 
You said his footwork is bad. Hor- hor- now, this horrendous. is a dude that... Ha- okay. He, this is a dude that has been a phenom his whole life. How does bad footwork uh, end up getting him? Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? How, how, does, it, how does it end up costing right. him? Right. Okay. That's a, that is a perfect question. And if you go and look through players, Jordan Spieth is a great example. When Jordan Spieth was the phenom, number one in the world, won two majors in 2015, had a five-shot lead with nine holes to play in 2016 at the Masters. It, all anyone talked about with Jordan Spieth was, man, he has that flying elbow. Ah, but you know what? He's a gamer. He's unbelievable. You know, he's got that flying elbow. Boy, that's going to cause him problems. But this guy is such a gamer. He's going to overcome it. Well, golf is a sport that you just can't always be on. I mean, right now, Scotty Scheffler is on, but now he's number one in the world. He's won four of seven. He just won the Masters. When he goes through a little slump, which he will go through, every player, John Romp, I don't care who you are, Tiger Woods, every player goes through it. When he goes through that slump, he's going to say to his teacher and to his camp, you know, where can I, how do I get, where can I improve? And the first thing they're going to say is, Scotty, we got we to improve this footwork. We have to change this footwork. And to your point, Dan, his whole career, he's had this footwork. But it's bad. And he overcomes it because it's his swing. What I'm going to tell you is going to happen, crystal ball, I'm predicting the future, is when he's going through a slump, he's going to make the decision that he needs to change that footwork because everyone's going to tell him how bad it is. And no one can ultimately win long-term with that footwork. He's going to change something and I've seen it hundreds of times with world number one that fall out of the top hundred in the world in two years. It's not that they don't have any less talent. It's not that they're not working any less hard. It's because they try to make a change. And I'm just predicting that when he goes through a little slump, which is inevitable, it's going to be really difficult for him not to change anything because the expectation is so high. And my prediction is he will try try to change something and it could cause a spiral i ultimately think scotty scheffler because of how down to earth he is because of how grounded he is he's a big dude that hits it a long way and his short game will never go bad i ultimately predict that we're looking at a 10 to 25 in the world player for the next 10 years and he's going to live in that 10 to 25 once this once this heater go you know comes and goes now he's locked up the number one in the world just because the way that works on the the system these events will have to drop off he's locked that up for a, a pretty much a solid this to this point next year uh he's in pretty good position but let's just say he let's say he top tens a lot but doesn't win and all four of those wins that he has in the last two months come off you'll see a drop that's how the number one in the world is always changing and I kind of see him living between 10 and 25 in the world. What about Tiger's weekend? You said incorrectly. You were, you were right. I mean, Tiger ended up being Tiger, and he fought through it. Well, no, I, but it was no I, I actually, I actually, round I actually couldn't have been more correct. Uh, I predicted this all absolutely <laughs> to a T. I said Thursday, Friday, would he would be his healthiest. Thursday, he would be his best, 100% right. Friday, they gave him a, they gave him a late a uh, an early tea time on Thursday and a late tea time on Friday. 
It gave him almost 24 hours of recovery in which he used that entire time to reduce the swelling on that leg. He, it was nonstop therapy by his camp on the leg, 13 hours between rounds. He was having that leg worked on. So I said, Thursday would be his best round. I was hundred percent right. I said, Friday, he would be a little worse, but still healthy enough to walk and get through. And then I didn't really see him challenging. So I knew he'd have a late tea time Friday, early Sunday, early Saturday. And that's when you'd start to see the cracks in the wall. Now, takes nothing against Tiger. What Tiger accomplished was beyond incredible. I have more respect for him as an athlete than I ever did before. But as far as predicting exactly what happened before it happened, I predicted all four rounds and I couldn't have been any more correct. Wait, no, you said he was not going to make the cut. No, no, no. If you go back and listen. and, and Didn't you tweet no. out he wasn't going to make the cut early Saturday morning or uh, Friday morning? What I said was, what I said was, everyone was talking about Tiger winning. He was one under. He was on the first page of the leaderboard. What I said was, he's going to be a lot closer later today to missing the cut than he is to winning this tournament. And it's going, and by the way, he, he finished 47th out of 50 players. Like he made the cut, but he also finished third to last. Um, he was never in contention to win this event after Thursday. And ultimately he was a lot closer to missing the cut than he was winning it. I didn't say he was going to, I mean, he shot one under the cut was five over. What I said was he's going to be a lot closer to missing the cut or could miss the cut than he is to being in contention after today. That's what I said then. All right. You're right. You did. You're right. But uh, uh, Craig, Poker Craig chimes in. He says, what 10-plus players does Ryan Burr expect to pass up Scotty Scheffler? Bad take by him. Okay. Well, listen, you have to understand the complicating world golf rankings to understand why that happens. And it's why, you know, Jordan Spieth is now outside the top 70. And you see guys with these massive fluctuations because when you lose those wins, if you don't replace them with good starts, it's a, it's a pretty quick drop. I mean, we've seen Rory McIlroy go from 1 to 19 in a pretty quick turnabout. Like I said, I don't see 10 players passing him in the next six months because he has those built-in wins. But if what I'm predicting is correct and he's not a transcendent player, which is what I'm saying, I don't believe he's a transcendent player. I believe he's a very, very good PGA Tour player that wins a bunch of events, one or two majors for his career. Borderline Hall of Fame, you know, 16, 17 wins, one, two majors. I do not see a transcendent four, five, six, seven major guy. I see a guy that lives between 10 and 25 in the world. And trust me, there are 10 players that will pass him pretty quickly. All right, you're big on Rory. Rory showed up yesterday. That's what I like about the Masters. I feel like someone always shows up on Sunday. Yeah, actually, he didn't show up, Dan. I mean, he shot a great number, but if you go back and look, Rory does this every year at the Masters. Rory never had a chance to win the Masters once this week. He never really had a chance to win, meaning there was not one shot that he hit yesterday where he had the pressure of winning the Masters on his back. He looked at the leaderboard and he was six, having a great round, but he was still six, seven back, five back of Scheffler. Like it's never, and he's running out of holds, right? It's never like, wow, I need to make, no, 
what Rory did was typical Rory. It's called a backdoor top five, and he is the absolute king of it. And you go and look at his career, and you see how many top fives he ended up in the top five because of a great round on Sunday where never ought for one shot did he have a chance to win that event. And he finishes in the top five, and he makes a lot of money, and it looks great on his career resume. 15 top fives at the Masters. But if you don't ever have one chance in that top five to actually win, you think he's really playing with the pressure of winning the Masters? It's called a backdoor for a reason, and you're sliding in the backdoor. I'll give you some guys that slid nowhere. <laughs> What's going on here? What, is this just golf? You mentioned Spieth. Yeah. What's going on with Spieth and Kepka? DJ was okay, but he's supposed to be the most talented. He never really... Uh, what's going on with some of the guys that we anticipate right. being the better I'll players, start, if not the best I'll players? I'll start with Kepka. If you take the strokes gain putting to the field on Thursday for Brooks Kepka, and you give him the strokes gain putting of Scotty Scheffler or Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, the way he hit it, proximity to the hole, Brooks Kepka would have been one shot out of the lead. Instead, I believe he was two over par. He missed seven putts day one inside five feet. Listen, I say, when you predict golf, I say this always. The one thing I can't predict is if you're going to have a good putting week or a bad putting week. All I can predict is how you're hitting the ball and how that stacks up on the golf course you're playing. Kepka was my pick. I think I was right, and that sounds crazy. He missed the cut. The way he hit the ball on Thursday was what I anticipated. I had no idea that he was going to finish dead last the entire field. He was the worst. Now, that includes guys that are 70 years old. He was dead last, the worst putter in the field on Thursday. And you can imagine psychologically what that does to a player when you're missing five-footer after five-footer after five-footers. Five and Scheffler and Smith are making 11, 12, 14-footers like they're nothing. It messes with your psyche. You now think you have to hit it inside five feet, which means you press. And it's why no one ever wins that's putting poorly. Uh, you have to be a hot putter. Putting is – there's good putters and there's bad putters, but there's also streaky putters. And most everyone – we like Jordan Spieth is a great putter, but you have to be – psychologically you have to be in the hunt to be able to for your putting to really matter speaks in a really bad spot with his swing i don't know how close you watch but he's doing this absurd pre-shot routine that he looks like he's cutting i mean it, it looks he's in a bad spot mentally with the golf swing i still think he's a great gamer he's got a great short game but he's got a lot to figure out with the golf swing right now i don't see him uh I don't see him flirting with any any wins this year where he's at right now. Kepka's got to get the putter hot. DJ, same thing. He hits plenty good enough. He missed every putty hit. Uh, John Rom played awful. Uh, just one of those weeks. It's been that kind of year. I said with Rom, he's definitely the most talented player on tour. He's far more talented than Scotty Scheffler. Um, he's had some changes in his life off the off the course marriage and new baby you've seen over the years that takes some getting used to and just throws you off a little bit and if you're a little bit off what the way he's playing can happen um so you know that's kind of where we're at i mean the guys that you know the guys that you put a circle around for a year from now 
are Morikawa. Like he showed me enough that as he continues to get better and you know, as long as things stay in this direction, Morikawa is always going to play good at Augusta and be a threat. I still think Justin Thomas is going to win a green jacket. I didn't play well this week, but finished in the, like, that's the thing. JT didn't play well and finished in the top 10, right? Like he's going to have a week when he does play well and puts well. And when he does, he's going to win the masters. Uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of the take on, on the big names this week and, and why they didn't win. Why is Justin Thomas? How, how, how did Justin Thomas? Cause you know, everything. You do. Yeah. Why is Ju- how how not why how did Justin Thomas and Tiger Woods become so close? <laughs> uh, a lot of it, uh, certainly a lot of it was uh, Freddie Couples, uh, who always wants to be one of the guys. And I think what happened really was this: when when Tiger was down and out, Thomas lived lives in that area, and Thomas kept making an effort. He kept making an effort when there was no Tiger Woods, when we didn't see Tiger Woods, when Tiger Woods was gone. And this is before the car accident. This this relationship isn't something new. This was through the back surgeries and through the hiatuses long before the, the car accident. He and JT became very good friends. And and as Tiger's son becomes a junior golfer, JT is engaged with his son and it's kind of be, and become a part of that family. And you know, I think Tiger sees someone that isn't trying to be his friend because he's Tiger Woods. I mean, Justin Thomas is, is you know, hundreds of millions of dollars is what he's going to make. He doesn't really need Tiger Woods, but I, I generally think he sees a lot of himself in JT that maybe he didn't see in some other players. Like, you know, Brooks Kepke wasn't reaching out to Tiger during his rehab to see how he was doing or or DJ or Rory or and that's nothing against them. I mean, you know, people in your life that are going through something that you don't reach out to every day for whatever reason, you're busy. You, you have other people that, you know, you care about more, but that's how that relationship happened. Uh, last thing before I let you go, Tiger says he's playing in the open, uh, non-committal a little bit about the U S open. And of course the PGA, uh, he talked about St. Andrews. Yeah. You anticipate uh-huh. The PGA is 38 days away. Uh, that's that's a quick 38 days. I think I think the problem that Tiger has is his greatest strength, and that's going to be by this time next week with the rehab that that he's going through every day. That leg is going to really start to feel better again. And by the way, he'll be in a golf cart exclusively for the next 30 days. So the walking, which is really what is just as I predicted to a T the walking is all it's nothing to do with golf swing. It's the, it's the tax of a walk on the leg. The leg's going to start feeling better. So, you know, Tiger has to be careful on how he picks his schedule here. Uh, what golf course is best for him to be able to win with limited mobility and longevity. Uh, St. Andrews, he's won twice at Southern Hills. He's won once at, um, but, the guy is just such, you know, we always hear, and I think, Dan, I think, you know, to a much lesser degree, but you're like this, you're a really competitive dude, meaning it doesn't matter what you're playing. You're going to get heated with, you're going to get heated with my back. You're going to get heated with, and you're going to, 
you know, people say, ah, oh, when he plays checkers, he'll throw the board if he loses. And it's kind of like a, a joke, but you know, we know people like that, that I don't care what you're playing. It means the world to you, even if it means nothing to, to not lose. And that's why Tiger with, you know, eight, $900 million with 15 majors with, he doesn't have to do this. He's done enough. He could go up in the sunset tomorrow and no one for a second would question him or never put him on the Mount Rushmore of all-time athletes. But man, it's like a drug to him. He is driven by competition and by just proving to himself in the world that he can do this again. And I, it was last week. I don't know what show I was on with you. I told you the story of how he overcame the, the chipping yips. It's never been done before. And he's, he's burning through the metal on a wedge in two weeks. Like the time he's going to put in on the rehab and the swing and everything. He's 46. His body has been through hell more than once. The six back surgeries and now this leg the arthritis and all that stuff as you get older is only going to get worse, but he knows that too. He knows it's only going to get tougher. So I think he's going to make, I think he's going to pour his heart and soul into this next year and a half and see if he can't win one more time. Yeah, that's, I, that's where I was going with it. Like at some point, 47 out of 50 ain't cutting it. Not, you know what I mean? I mean, that, I mean, it cut it, you know, it, it cut and, it this week because no. his leg was going to be amputated a you yeah. know, year and a half ago. But yeah. if Tiger Woods, a year from now, has done no better than 47, Tiger walks away. Yeah, and by the way, you look like Dean Martin after a bad night at the Copa right now. You got the shirt down, you got the, you know, you got the freaking... Yeah, you do. You look like you're part of the Rat Pack, and you just stepped out of the Tropicana after a Listen, double D. after Listen, a big double D. night. With, I want, uh, I, you know, uh, I want you to under, yeah. I want you to understand. I want you to have full understanding of the interviews worldwide. I juggle to make this 10 a.m. possible. <laughs> you should. I've made your career. Whether it was in Toledo or in so, uh, me and Barry Sachs. That's right. Do you owe me a hundred dollars? I owe you a hundred. Do you owe me a hundred? Uh, Venmo. I'll send you my wife's Venmo. And I think I think nobody ever. You, if you pay me, if you pay me, let me just say this: you will be the first right. person on my show yeah. that has character enough sure. to actually pay a bet. I got most of Southern Indiana owing me money. They never pay. If you actually pay, you'll be the only man of character right. that I have had well, a bet I, with on a show. I am much more interested in a double, double or nothing bet, but I will give you one great story. Arnold Palmer played, he and Jack Nicholas played a practice round with two young guys uh, towards the end of their career. And they were going to play head to head. And the, and they were playing for, you know, I think it was 25 a hole. And Nicholas and Palmer, after nine holes, they're like, guys, we're out of here. We're going to go get some lunch. And they're just, you know, got their butts kicked. And Palmer walked over to the kid and said, listen, he's like, how about this? How about you're going to be able to walk the rest of your life and be tell people that Arnold Palmer still owes you a hundred bucks? <laughs> no. Because obviously, no. AP wasn't. No, Mike, hey. Mike, Michael Jordan owes me six grand. Whoa. You owe me a hundred. Nobody pays in this world. All right. Well, 
Nobody. We'll come up. We'll come up with a good double or nothing. We know that for sure. But uh, don't ask. No, I'll come up. I'll I'll come I'll come up with a Venmo for my wife, and then you know. Better yet. <laughs> you look like I swear to God, you look like you just did a set with Shecky Green <laughs> over <laughs> over at the over at the hump room in the in the trap. Hey, where's Sammy at? Can I get Peter Laurie over here? You don't even know these names. No. You're the best, man. I appreciate you coming on. See you, man. <laughs> See ya. Hey, I'm doing three shows tonight. Tip your waiters and waitresses. That's a great Ryan Bird. Tell me I'm wrong about that. Tell me that Bird just didn't show up after an all-nighter at the Copa. At the Copa. Copa Cabana. The hottest spot north of Havana, here at the Cope. I got some life lessons for you. You guys ready? I got a, <laughs> I got a couple life lessons. And oh, by the way, speaking of winning money, uh, I'm going to win you some money. There's some baseball that I like. One of them is in the afternoon. So uh, don't go. No, Jennifer, Van Pasterman, all you guys, uh, Sean Black. Let's go. Tweet this out. Let's get this rolling. We'll be right back. I'm going to win you some money, and I'm going to give you some. Look, there are certain things in this world you just got to do. So get your pen and paper ready. Have a sit, and let's talk. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Now I'm going to be singing at the Copa the entire day. I don't want to be singing at the Copa. Every day I wake up and I got a song in my heart. Man, Ryan Bird knocking it out of the park. Pretty funny, actually. All right, a couple of things. Now, we're, we do a segment here. I'm going to make sure I have this right. We do a segment, basically, Life Lessons with me. That's right. Like, if you go through life as me, couple things are going to happen. One, you're going to have a blast. It's what we do. We don't. I had a friend of mine from high school. She came to our house, my wife Lee, in our house a few years ago with a bunch of high school friends and whatever. And she looked at me. She goes, are you ever going to grow up? I said, no. No. Hey, Clint Eastwood said famously, I was reading an interview with Clint Eastwood. I think it was in like, I don't know, Golf Digest or something. I was sitting at the dentist's office the other day. Dr. Mike O'Neill, by the way, at today's dentistry, great dentist if you live in the Fishers, Indianapolis area. But anyway, I was sitting there, and I read this article about Clint Eastwood. And obviously, it talked about Clint Eastwood, golf, and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, um, he actually said something that I kind of liked. He said, don't let the old man in. Like, in your life, don't let the old man in. I don't let the old man in. So you can sit there and say, well, I've read about you, Doc. You're the worst. I hate you. You suck. You suck. Shut up. You were mean to professors. You were mean to Scottsburg. I can't believe you still have a job. All right, shut up. Uh, or you can say, damn, let me just see what Double D has to say. Here's one thing, and I learned this once again last night. If you have, yeah, don't let the old man in. 
just don't let the old man in. The old man is trying to get into your life. He's trying to make you an old man. Don't let the old man in. It's a great quote by Clint Eastwood. It's a great quote. All right. If you have a choice between a stick poked right in your eyeball, boom, all right, or flying in and out of Detroit, take the stick to the eye. Take it right in the eye. I learned it again last night. Look, understand, Detroit, beautiful airport, easy. You can walk a long way. You can get on the tram and go. Easy airport. I got no problem with the airport. The people there are horrible. Oh, horrible. Even the damn stewardess was just yelling at people. I mean, horrible. And, and I say this, with as little respect and total truth, if you get through the Detroit airport without being delayed, it is a freaking miracle. Not a little miracle, a major league miracle. Honest to goodness. And it's not Detroit's fault. They're in bad weather. Things are coming in. They're going out. They're coming. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what time I got there last night. Uh, Vegas, 3.30. That's 6.30. Probably 8, 9 o'clock. Maybe 10. I don't know. My flight was supposed to leave like 11 o'clock at night. Delayed. At night. 11 at night. It's always, in fact, two of my friends, I, they call me, hey, did you see the mask? I go, yeah, where are you flying? Detroit. They go, what's wrong with you? Don't fly through Detroit. Everyone's nasty. Everyone's mean. Everyone's, no. It's always delayed. It's always a hassle. And if you fly in the winter through Detroit, you are going to get stuck if you do it five times a winter. One of the five, 20% of the time, you will be stuck there overnight. Probably another one out of the five, you will miss your connection because something screwed up. I'm just telling you. If you got to, you got to. But if you can avoid it, you see it right there on the screen. Avoid. Uh, I like Detroit as a city. I got no problem with Detroit. I like Greek town. I like Detroit. I don't like the airport. It's a good airport, better than it was. All right, this is simple, okay? Go to church. I don't go to church, man. All right, go to church. Why? I'll tell you why. Purely selfish reasons. I don't care if you are the greatest church-going guy, a guy like me who goes to church. I go. I, I Or somebody... That is, I don't go to church, or somebody that's a hardened criminal that only goes after they've murdered seven people and a cat. The feeling you get walking out of church is one of, if not the greatest feelings in the world. Now, let me say this again. The feeling you get 
walking out of church. Now, I don't care what church. That's on you. I was raised Catholic. So you had to go every Sunday, holy days of obligation. You can't eat an hour before you go to church because usually when you get communion, it's an hour in, that's two hours. And somehow my mother, the holiest of women, said you got to have two hours. All right. Like if you would have put a piece of bread in your mouth at, let's say, 930 for a 10 o'clock mass, my mother would not let you get communion. But. When you go to church and you sit there, and I'm not going to lie to you, I go to church, I go to Traders Point Church, it's over here, it's a big church, they call it Rock and Roll Church, I don't care, the message is great, but I'm always looking over here. You know why I'm always looking over here? Because this is one of those churches with cameras, and they have the countdown clock, so when Aaron Brockett gets up there, it's maybe 37 minutes and he's talking and I'm listening, and I'm intent on listening, and then I'll look over and see how much time we got left. I'm a horrible example for all of it because I'm always trying to see how much time we have left. I guarantee you, were I, diagno- were I a younger man, I would be diagnosed with all kinds of stuff. ADHD, I don't, I don't know, Asperger's, I don't know what it would be. But I would be. Because I always got to know how much time is left. I count in my own head when I go to the bathroom. When I'm taking a... I count. I'm standing there. I'm going to the bathroom. Don't know. But I know this. When I walk out of church, even if I've fallen asleep in church, I feel better. So I ask myself, why don't I just stop into church once in a while? During the week, even when you just stop into church, you get a really good feeling. Now, understand this. St. Peter and Paul, Catholic Church, Maryville, Indiana, all right? Crazy parking lot. You guys that are younger, you don't understand crazy parking lot. You don't understand it. Crazy parking lot means there isn't a guy out there you know, with lights like you're landing a plane and you're over here. No, crazy parking lot is there spots. You can go out that way. You can go out that way. That's it. No organization. So in Saints Peter and Paul's parking lot, after we've just sat with God from 10 until 11, unless you had Father Wood, it was 10 to 1045 with Father Wood. Or 1130, uh, was 1130 Mass? Yeah, I think it was 1130 Mass. All right. You got into that parking lot, and I'm telling you right now, you ain't afraid, you are not afraid to flip someone off. They cut you off. Oh, hey, what the? That was Catholic Church to me. You went because you felt like you were now holy enough that you could go off on somebody because you just got holy. I don't know why, but I'm telling you, St. Peter and Parr parking lot was like demolition derby and a NASCAR event after three dudes ran into one dude and they're going to fight in the damn pit. But go to church, synagogue. Yes, synagogue. I don't care where you go, mosque. I don't care. Just go because the feeling is so good. Oh, after, even if you're a mass murderer, 
You go to Traders Point Christian Church, you sit there, you listen, you're going to feel okay about yourself for the next 30 minutes. Just saying. There's a quote, all right? To be old and wise, you must first be young and stupid. That quote is perfect. That quote is absolutely perfect. But here's the problem, children. To be old and wise, all right, you got to live through young and stupid. But in this day and age, being young and stupid gets you put on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, which, by the way, we're coming to TikTok soon. So to be old and wise, you got to get through right now being young and stupid and exposed because some jackass is always there with a camera to take a picture of you being stupid. And in some case... They'll even record you. But here's the deal with it. Here's the deal. Unless you do something, I don't know, completely egregious, stop trying to be perfect. People out there, stop trying to be perfect. Everybody's trying to be perfect. Everybody's trying to show they got the perfect life. Happened again to me in Vegas. Last time I was in Vegas, a couple summers ago, before the pandemic, I was doing the summer league games. And my wife and I are sitting at this restaurant. It was in the middle of the park. It was kind of a bar restaurant. We're having a bite to eat. We're sitting there in the middle. Kind of, I like the action. I like seeing what's going on. And there's this young lady. She's all dressed up. You know, she's she's had the implant. She's got the skimpy dress. And she's sitting there taking pictures of herself. And then when she put the camera down, she was as miserable as we were. She was just trying, well, we weren't miserable, but she, you know what I mean? She just trying to be perfect. Hell, I was in Naples this winter, and there's this girl. It's cold in Naples this day. She's got a thong up her, you know what? She goes from her little, you know, big old parka, takes it off, goes into the water, kneels in the water, and starts taking pictures, and then she set up a freaking, uh, camera so that she could do it without having her hand. I don't even know. Stop trying to be perfect. I look at folks and I say, those folks got to be sad. I was on an escalator. Some young lady. Stop it. Stop it. You don't have to be perfect. So stop trying to be. Tiger Woods was very popular. Tiger Woods has always been popular. But now Tiger Woods is off the charts because he's a human being. Yeah, he screwed up. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't cheat on your wife. Yeah, don't do the things. But all right. You do it. You get wise. You figure it out, hopefully, and you do better. But damn, this whole idea. i tell you this right now. I'm much happier now that I don't care. I'm a little older. Did some stupid things. Fine, a few years ago, newspaper rights stuff, who cares? I've had more people, when I was coaching, I had I used to be like the fixer. Like guys I didn't even know would call me and say, Dan, I hear you're pretty good with this. So they would ask me about, hey, man, I'm in this situation. And I'd say, all right, here's what you need to do. I swear to God, I don't even know. My one assistant, Keith Knobs, like promoted me to everybody he knew in coaching. Like, hey, man, you got a problem with this contract? You got a problem? You call Dan, he'll help you. Well, now it's multiplied by a 1,000. 
my popularity with, with people that are real, not necessarily some idiot writer from the Indianapolis Star, but people that are real. Why? Because I've been through some stuff. The imperfections in life are what's perfect. I think Robin Williams said that in Goodwill Hunting when he was talking to Matt Damon. It's the imperfections that are the glorious thing. So stop trying to be perfect. Hey, look, there's always going to be people doing that. Don't be one of them. Be real. I'm just telling you. I do like that quote, though. To be old and wise, you got to once be young and stupid. All right, this is starting to drive me nuts. Is it possible for y'all, myself included, to leave a place cleaner than you found it? Can I say that again? Leave places cleaner than you found them. God dang. Look, Jennifer, Van Pasterman, Joe to the Sea, all you guys on the YouTube chat. Am I wrong? Here in my town, I live in Lawrence, uh, which is it's Indianapolis. I have an Indianapolis address. But in Lawrence, which is, I don't know, a suburb. I don't even know what you call it. It's part of Indy. There's a big campaign, don't trash our city. Like, why would you ever have to tell human beings not to just throw trash everywhere? Can you explain this to me? I'll sit and wait. I'll go to the beard on this. This is something I do not understand. This is something I will never understand. Don't throw garbage out the window. Oh, really? You get a Coke at the airport. Don't leave it on the counter. Throw it in the garbage can. What? What? We're playing golf. Beautiful place. My brother's really good. Like, my brother should be a Vegas host. Rio Seco is the name of the place. Fantastic. Beautiful. Ridiculous. Canyons. And I mean, Mike Tyson lives out there. I mean, gorgeous. We walk to the tea box. There's a freaking uh, Diet Coke laying on the ground. What, what are we, and this isn't me being old grumpy man. This is me being human being. Like, be a freaking human being. We got enough farm animals in this world. How about be a human being? Oh, man, wait a second. Uh, Throw it in the garbage. You know how far ahead you would be in life if you just threw your own garbage away? No, I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. A simple act. Like, if you're with people and you pick up a piece of garbage, put it in the garbage, be different. The world is nuts. I'm in. I mean, I'm all for everybody. I'm, you know, hey, go fight, win, yay, rah. But, I mean, is there any way in hell people can just stop listening to anybody other than me? I don't I don't know why you would, but I don't know why you wouldn't. I, I would think that I'm the only person you guys need to listen to. And I don't think there's a second. Tell me I'm wrong. Don't at me, people. I'm just telling you. It drive you bat blank crazy. Leave places cleaner than when you found them. Why do people love Augusta National Golf Course? You're not going to find any garbage. They're old school rules. Put your phone up here. We'll get it back to you. I I don't know what to tell you, peeps. I don't know what to tell you. What does this say? 
Take only pictures, leave only footprints. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Sharp stick in the eye or fly through Detroit. Boom. Oh, good. Hey, you're in the hospital. Fine. I don't have to drive. I don't have to fly through Detroit. Thank God. Seriously. Church? Oh, man. Getting ready to throw hands, but you feel good. All right. Couple of fades before I go. You say to me, double dizzle. And I say yes. What are we going to bet on? Well, let me tell you what we're going to bet on. We're going to bet some baseball. But before I give you some baseball, let me tell you what else we're going to bet on. We're going to try to figure this out. I'm going to read this. Outkick the tailgate. The 16th this weekend. Chad Withrow, Jill Savage, many guests, New Jersey Generals versus the Birmingham Stallions. 7.30 on Fox. Get your tickets at the USFL. Dot com and go. I'm telling you, I can't wait. I'm going to bet my face off on the USFL. Here's why. But I'm going to do some research all week. I'm going to find out who are the players and who are the coaches. I don't know, but mostly I'm going to bet the coaches. But here's the deal. All right. That money spends as well as all the money you want on the NCAA. I won 4100 that money spends. I don't care what you ate. All right. A couple of things to bet on before I let you go. Number one, don't even mess around today. Do yourself a favor. I'll make sure I got this right for you. The, the St. Louis Cardinals, hard for me to say because I don't like St. Louis Cardinals, are playing Pittsburgh. I think it's a 1 o'clock game. All right? Now, In my world, the St. Louis Cardinals against Pittsburgh is a freaking lock. Here's the other thing, though. I want to make some money on this. So I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you one and a half. I'm going to give you one and a half as the Cardinals. I'm going to give you one and a half. Now, we did this on opening day, and the score was nine to nothing. It was the easiest money that we've made. This game is going off at 215. Now, you're going to say to me, Dan, who's pitching? And I'm going to say to you, it's Zach Thompson, who's good, against Dakota Hudson, who's good. I mean, he's good pitchers. But I don't care. I want early action today. The other one is the Royals and the Guardians. Now, the Royals stink. Carlos Hernandez isn't horrible. But Aaron Chevalier, I don't know. But I like the Guardians. I don't like much about the Guardians because I hate the name. I don't like the name. Hey, but I'm not Indian. I don't know about being offended. I, you know, people are, they are, then get rid of it. That's fine. It, does, it doesn't bother me one second. But I know this. I know the Royals stink. And I know this. I know the Guardians are good. I don't love the Guardians minus one and a half as much as I love the Royals, or excuse me, as much as I love the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are going to be one of the best teams in baseball this year. And I think Pittsburgh's going to stink. I do. I think Pittsburgh always stinks. I think Pittsburgh's going to stink until they decide to say, hey, I don't know. Let's change the entire rules of the sport to make Pittsburgh not stink. But in my world, I think Pittsburgh stinks. So I'm going to big time take. So I'm going to take the Guardians money line against the Royals. 
I really have to go to the bathroom right now, so I'm trying to get through this next eight minutes. I'm not going to lie to you. I figure if I can get through this seven minutes, then I'll be pretty happy. Now, let me ask you this. What other show in the history of the world does the guy on television or wherever you're watching this tell you, look, I have to go potty. <laughs> but I do. So I figure if I can get three more minutes out of this show, then you're going to get the best without me having to wear an adult diaper. And by the way, I forgot to thank the guy that sent me an adult diaper. About two years ago, I was having basically the same conversation on my show in Indy. And next thing you know, at my desk in Indianapolis came a packet of adult diapers, which I would have tried because, ironically enough, I was listening to Stern, and they had done that on Stern. The problem I would have done that. But the problem that I have is, well, <laughs> the adult diapers were too damn small. My big fat, you know what, couldn't handle the adult diaper. So anyway, that's the deal. That's what I got going, and that's where we're at. But anyway, having said that, uh, you can catch this act coming up at uh, 12 o'clock. You can absolutely. We're going to be on 107.5 The Fan today. You can also catch it on YouTube. Ryan is doing, I mean, I, I think this. I think that our graphics have gotten so good. All of a sudden, now we got graphics. All of a sudden, now you're seeing tweets. All of a sudden, now you're hearing some audio. That's right, baby. This show is coming on. Yeah, it is. This show is coming on. And we're not messing around. So here's what I need you to do, if you don't mind. Tomorrow morning, before the show, we'll send a tweet out. If you could. This is kind of me begging, but I ain't mad about it. If you could, could you possibly do me the favor of retweeting our tweet so you follow OutKick or you follow me and you just simply retweet that tweet? And guess what happens? What happens is we get more people watching. What happens is it becomes more fun. What happens is life becomes good. But anyway, I really got to go to the bathroom. I hate to cut this short, five minutes short, but I'm sorry. I do. Have a great afternoon, everybody. If you would like to, you can watch me on or listen on 107.5 The Fan. Uh, it is available wherever you get your, uh, whatever, what do you call it, your streaming. You can also stay with me on Twitter, at Dan Dockage, or go to at Outkick on Twitter, and we will have clips from this show basically all day. It's all I do for the rest of the day. I do my show from here, or excuse me, I do my show at Indy, and next thing you know, I just start freaking retweeting everything because I want this to be the biggest, the best show ever. Review. Take the Cardinals, give the run and a half, it's plus money for you. It is. It's plus money. Other review. Take the freaking uh, 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 Cleveland Guardians on the money line. The money line's not bad. It's only 15% juice. So take the freaking Cleveland Guardians against the Royals. You got two games this afternoon. We're going to win them both. And then, you know what? It's Monday. Take your wife out to dinner. A 
a surprise, buy flowers, do something wonderful for somebody with the money we're going to win. And, and if you would like to parlay both, then God bless you. Can you tell I'm stalling? Even in my stalling, I'm giving you some good stuff. Guys, thank you. We will talk to you tomorrow. As always, Dockage, out.